Welcome back everybody, this is Eric here with Iraq Veteran 8888. Today we've got another gun gripe episode for you, and we're going to be talking about why internal audits are important. Now, before you guys get crazy and click away, we have uh, Clay Cheshire here with Munitions Law Group. He is a lawyer with their firm, and we're going to discuss this. I think it's a great video that you guys should, should give us a second uh, of your time to discuss a little bit of this. Now, internal audits, as we're discussing it within the context of this gripe, relate more to, let's just say, the business side of the Second Amendment. However, those internal audits can also affect you in your everyday life as an individual as well, and we're going to discuss both of those a little bit. So let's sort of jump into it a little bit. You know, what is the importance of internal audits? Why do we need them? Why do businesses need them? So in case you guys don't know, Munitions Law Group specializes in protecting FFLs and individuals within the 2A realm. So this is something that you guys are definitely abreast to. Uh, why are these important? Yeah, and just, just so you know, again, before you guys click away, we're not talking about like accounting audits. We're not talking about IRS stuff. We're talking about compliance audits, right? We're talking about are you doing things the right way? And just to kind of focusing again on the industry side, the sure. FFL side of this thing, so under the law, ATF has the right to inspect, do a compliance inspection at any licensee once per year. What we see uh, in, in the practical world is they, they see every licensee about once every three or four years. So what that means is, is for three to four year periods, you're doing things yourself, right? You're not having ATF come in and inspect what you're doing. They're not looking over your shoulder. You know, hopefully you're doing things the right way. What internal audits are designed to do is uh, to periodically review your records to uh, identify issues, problem areas, things that maybe you could be doing differently, maybe you should be doing them differently. Um, the idea there is let's catch something uh, before ATF does. It's not to hide it from ATF, it's let's identify it so we can correct it if possible. So we can otherwise address it so that when ATF does uh, discover that we had an issue, um, we have addressed it appropriately and been responsible and shown a commitment to compliance. So the internal audit is a tool for you to assess yourself and fix things before they become a bigger problem. Right, and then the whole diligence aspect of it too. Let's just say, for instance, and maybe you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but say in the instance of you're doing an internal audit with your business, and we're talking specifically federal firearms license holders, you know, in the 2A world, the firearms world, and let's say you find some compliance issue that you've discovered internally before the ATF uh, ever comes to inspect you. Say that that time is two years from the time that you discover that. So say the ATF, and I'm speaking theoretically here, but say the ATF audits you and then goes, oh, well, this is an issue. Well you then would have proof that, hey, all right, well, on this date, we performed an internal audit. This is what we found. We corrected it. I couldn't see them giving you as hard, as hard of a time as if that entire two years was taken up and you were doing the same thing wrong the entire time or there was an issue that you let slide that long and it took them that long to find it. So in my mind, it seems that at least it looks a little better when you've shown due diligence to do the right thing and that you've corrected it and moved forward. Yeah, and, right? that, and, and I think that's a true statement, but, but I'll... They I'll have to recognize that. I mean, Sure, and, yeah. and, I'll, and I'll add to that, because, you know, for ATF to revoke a license, an FFL, they have to, to have a finding of willfulness, right? That the violations were willful. And um, 
that doesn't necessarily require that you did it on purpose, right? It could be that you knew that you were committing a violation and didn't do anything to um, to stop doing that, right? Gross so, negligence. Well, I mean, uh, technically that's not the exact same thing, but it's more of a knowing, a knowing violation, right? So, um, and then there's other ways too. It, 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 they can show repeated violations, right? They can show that you had an inspection, you were advised of certain violations, you were given an opportunity to correct them, and then at a subsequent inspection, you, you made maybe different violations, and, and those could be used to combine with the past ones to be willful. So anyway, I don't want to get into that. That's a rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. But I will tell you on what you just said, um, there are actually a lot of ways, a lot of violations can be legally corrected, right? You have to follow certain procedures, though. Um, it may be that you can actually, you know, correct something on a, on a 4473 by following a certain procedure, and then when ATF does inspect you, they'll see that it was initially done wrong, but that you corrected it the right way. That's not a violation. You've done it correctly. You can correct what would otherwise be violations by following certain procedures. So the idea is correct the ones you can correct, identify the ones, well, identify all of them, correct the ones you can correct, for the ones you can't correct, come up with a game plan to address them that is going to mitigate the harm or damage that could come when ATF does discover the violation. So here's an example. Let's say that I'm Joe Blow, 4473, uh, filling out a 4473, and I forget to sign my name at the bottom of the 4473. Simple thing. You know, may may not have been malicious. Maybe I didn't mean to do it. It was an honest mistake. Okay, I go up to the counter. I get my gun, two people look at the 4473 and neglect to see that I didn't sign it. I leave with the gun. All right, well, that 4473, that's not good. You have to have a signature. So the 40, let's just say the FFL winds up calling you back a week later and going, well, Mr. Mr. Joe Blow, I'm sorry to inconvenience you, but you got a gun the other day and you forgot to sign your 4473. Could you drop back by the store, please? That would be great and just sign it and we're good to go. You know what I mean? Like, so you, you, you didn't initially get the signature, but you acknowledged, oh crap, we need it. We called him. The guy came back in. No harm. Well, and there's a procedure for doing that properly. And right. You can correct that violation. But it can, but it, it's yeah. identified, right? It's identified, but, but ATF is not going to write you up for something that's been properly corrected. Okay. So now there are some violations that cannot be properly corrected. Right, like their ID was expired, or if I you mean, if you if you transfer a gun to somebody without running a next check, and they leave the premises with the gun, and and you know that that's a violation you can't correct. It's been done. Yeah. But but what you can do is you can get the gun back, and you can rerun the transaction and do it properly. Um, or let's say worst case scenario, you sell it to somebody who fails the next check, right? So it's a prohibited person. You've transferred it to them. Can't unring that bell but you can't get the gun back. So you'll tell ATF, look, this happened. They're going to know it happened, but you did the responsible thing and you got the gun back. I've seen some cases, and maybe you can elaborate on this just a little bit. I know we're going down the rabbit hole a little bit on the whole internal audit idea. I've seen some cases where a NICS check doesn't come back within three business days, and then after three business days, whether the check has come back or not, you get to come get your gun regardless, right? So you sign off after three days. Well, then five days later or a week later, ATF finally gets back to you and says, oh, yeah, uh, this person you submitted the background check, they're denied. Well, after three business days, you've already given them the gun. Yeah. 
So what then? You got to yep. call them up. Oh, you've been denied. Yeah. You need the gun back. I mean, what do you do then? Yeah, and you followed the law. You know, when you did that, and and right. so that that's that's a different scenario. You right. know, than the one where that you didn't run the next check at all. Right. You know, so but there are ways to address these things, and, and like like you were saying, the point you're making right now is these are highly technical issues. Yes. And they they don't come up every day with every transaction, but they come up from time to time. And um, by doing these inspections, and, and what an internal audit is, it's not, it's not um, four people coming to your premises and going through all your records. It is you scanning and emailing uh, 30, 44, 70, or the last 30 days of 4473s and the last 30 days of your A&D record, right? And you're scanning and emailing to somebody on our team, and we're going through it, and we're spotting issues. And then we're doing a report to you, and we can talk about it and yeah. fix. And you're telling people fixed. what's wrong. And that's that's how the tool works, right? Smart. And so it's a it's a nominal cost relative to getting revoked or having other adverse action against your license. And again, it identifies problems so that you can correct them or otherwise mitigate them, so that when ATF does discover them, you're not going to get hammered. That's smart. That's the goal. Now earlier. Uh, Clay and I were discussing internal audits and how that might involve Joe Blow, regular guy, right? And I didn't really tell him like how I thought it did. I thought I would do it here on camera so he, I could get his reaction to it. All right, an example of an internal audit that Joe Blow would go through, okay, would be along the lines of, okay, like in my case, I maintain a firearms collection, right? So every now and then, I would say on average about once a year, what I like to do is I like to go through my collection, pull them off the wall, I check the bores, I run a you know cleaning patch through the bores, I check for you know visible corrosion on the outside of the firearm, uh, I record make, model, and serial number, okay, and I, I'll also I'll go through and I'll make sure I have every make, model, serial number. Oftentimes I'll I'll have the lighting in here because we're in the studio. I'll take some photos. And that's, that is, in, in a way, an internal audit on my part because then, let's just say my house burns down or there's some tragic thing happens and all of a sudden the guns are either uh, misplaced, damaged, destroyed, whatever. I then have record proof of make, model, serial numbers. I can report it if I need to or I can prove to my insurance company, hey, you know, yes, these guns are tangible, real things. I had them. Look, here they are. So that is a form of an internal audit that we all go through on a regular basis is maintaining a gun collection, especially a little bit larger gun collection where you start getting, you know, 40 or 50 pieces or 100 pieces. Some people own 500 guns. And after a while, you're talking an individual having a firearms inventory that rivals some FFLs. Oh, sure. So you have to keep up with that stuff. You have to know if something's missing. How do you know if something's missing among 500 guns that you don't look at ever? Yep. I mean, what you're doing is you're performing an inventory. But at right. the same time... And which is which is an SOP uh, that we tell licensees to follow, and and it's you know it's not necessarily part of the audit procedure, but you're right, they're all related. And you know another reason you want to do this is because you know what if you eat some bad lettuce, something happens to you, right? And you're not here anymore, and and you've got an estate issue to deal with. You've got you've got a family that's got to come in here and figure out what you've got. What it's worth. What it's worth. Are they going to liquidate it? What are they? Gonna, and and even bigger. I mean, we've we've had situations over the years where we've had uh, a lender, a bank has loaned money to somebody, and it's been secured in part by a million dollar firearms collection. Okay, bank doesn't know anything about firearms. 
uh, million dollar collection is probably going to have some investment grade NFA items. And sure enough, they do. And so, you know, we have to work with that creditor, that lender, and, and say, look, you need to go in there and you need to, and you need to uh, inventory what they've got. Figure out whether any of it's NFA. If it's NFA, you can't, you can't take possession of it. That's against the law. So, you, you know, again, it's another tool for making sure that you're taking care of your family by doing what you do. Right. Yep. So that's kind of like the internal audit idea, sort of in a nutshell. I mean, um, you know, that term is generally reserved more for, let's just say, the ATF inspections and things. And, and like Clay said, we're not really trying to get into the, the bubble of we're financial audits like you would deal with for tax purposes. That's a completely separate issue. What we're talking about is audits related to ATF. And I think it's an important talking point because... You know, even if you're watching this video and you're not the kind of person that cares or knows about the inner goings-ons of an FFL and how they work and how they operate and why they have to operate the way they do, it still makes you a more well-rounded gun owner to understand the ins and outs of how a firearms business kind of operates and the compliance issues that are at stake. It makes you a more well-informed gun owner because you understand the things that are at stake when a lot of this legislation gets brought up and all of these things get put in. It helps you understand the totality of the situation. When some anti-gunner comes to you and tries to spew a bunch of rhetoric down your throat about why we need better gun laws and why this and that, you, you can go in the back of your mind, you're thinking, man, do you really know exactly what goes on at a firearms dealer? Like what they have to go through to sell someone a gun? All the red tape? So it makes you more well-rounded as a gun owner to understand what the industry goes through as well. So that's kind of the nature of these videos as well. We want people to understand that when you go and you buy a gun, you are the last stage of the operation to a very, very, very complex and multifaceted operation within the, gun, the 2A world. Uh, so that I think that's important to mention. Yeah, it's, it's part of a good broad-based education. I think all of us are into to being, to having knowledge about what we are enthusiastic about. And so you have a good knowledge of how everything fits together. That's right. Yeah. That's right, you know. And, and without going too far outside of the wheelhouse, I mean, you look at, for instance, and this is, I'm going to mention another industry, okay? <coughs> Musical instruments, all right? So there for a while... There, there was this whole thing about Brazilian rosewood and this and that and this and that. And all of a sudden, the government got all uppity about Brazilian ro rosewood. And you couldn't, you know, buy rosewood from this country, from that country, from this type of source, from that type of source. And all of a sudden, whole crap, instrument builders can't get rosewood anymore. But you wouldn't know that if you didn't have your ear to the ground a little bit within each kind of industry. So this is sort of the equivalent of having an ear to the ground and understanding the inner goings-ons so you know you understand I mean when you buy a gun for instance all right you buy a Smith & Watt Wesson model 686 uh, revolver or whatever and it costs X amount of dollars a certain amount of those dollars from that gun are to pay for the legal team and and you know there's all these costs that get forwarded so when you you look at the total cost of something you should know that there's a part of that cost is related to this type of stuff. So that's why we want to mention it. Anyway, uh, we hope you guys enjoyed today's video. Clay, thank you so much for coming down. Thanks for having me. We really, really enjoy these videos, and uh, we hope you guys are learning something from Clay 
this is the first opportunity in a long time that we've had the ability to have uh, legal authority come and discuss some of these things for you. So leave your comments in the uh, comment section below. Let me know what you think. Do you have questions? Is there something we didn't cover? Um, you know, maybe we can compile some of those questions and in a future video, Clay and I can stab at a few of these questions and answer for y'all. Uh, he is local to us here in Georgia, so I'm sure we'll have Clay back. Let me know what you think of these videos. We really hope that you enjoy them. We're trying to educate and put things out there in a logical way that we hope will help a lot of you. Make sure you go over to the Munitions Law Group YouTube channel and subscribe over there. And you'll see Derek with the big red beard. And yes, he is a lawyer. Uh, he's an odd-looking lawyer, but he's a lawyer. And he is a part of Munitions Law Group. He's a great dude. Uh, if you ever have any questions, contact their firm. They're good people. They'll take care of you. They'll make sure that you go down the right path. And uh, Clay, again, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. All right. Thank you. You guys have yourselves a great day. We'll see you next time.